I'm San Francisco Chronicle columnist Heather Knight, and you're listening to Fifth and Mission. Many parts of San Francisco are unsafe for walking and bicycling. Advocates and regular people alike have long dreamed of turning the progressive city into a bike and walking utopia. Could the COVID-19 pandemic help get us there? Chronicle reporter Peter Hartlob thinks the answer is yes. He's breaking down a bunch of ideas for how to make San Francisco more pleasant to get around on foot, on bike, via public transit, and even in your car. Peter Hartlaub, welcome to the podcast. Heather Knight, thank you for having me. We are turning the tables. You have interviewed me on Total SF approximately 537 times, and now I get to interview you on Fifth and Mission. I'm very excited about it. It makes it easier, too, because it's a topic that I'm I'm very excited about and, and excited about this new section that we're launching. Um, so shoot, you can ask me anything, Heather. <laughs> I'm going to grill you. Okay. You're going to be sweating by the end. Okay. Uh, we are going to talk about biking and walking in San Francisco shortly. But to get there, I first wanted you to explain um, what your story is a part of. It's the Chronicle's new Through Line project. Can you explain what that is? Yeah. So last year, our style section became the Culture Desk. And I moved over there and just writing a lot of stories about Bay Area culture, things that maybe wouldn't fit in the rest of the Chronicle. Um, our 49-mile scenic route makeover was like perfect story for the Culture Desk. Well, the Culture Desk for the next nine weeks is going to be the through line section. It's a limited series project, kind of looking what the Bay Area could look like in the near future. Um, the pandemic, the protests, how that's changing us, and how we can use this moment to reshape the the region and 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 make it make it better. Um, and really exciting because we're looking. It's almost like each edition is going to be a different subject. Um, the first one's kind of looking at the future of the city. Um, we might have a week on arts, a week on the income gap, and a whole section just diving into these thoughtful issues. Um, and I'm, I'm super excited about it. Awesome. Well, you have a great story that is near and dear to both of our hearts, um, loving San Francisco and loving biking and walking, San Francisco especially. So um, your story looks at how there are some silver linings of the pandemic in that there are some um, improvements for bicyclists and walkers already and looking at whether they can, you know, remain forever and make San Francisco the bike and walk utopia that advocates and a lot of regular people have been dreaming of for a long time. So um, for starters, why has this pandemic um, been a surprising boon to projects for pedestrians and bicyclists? Yeah, you know, I I like to think that it started even a little bit before the pandemic when they opened up Car-Free Market, something that I had looked in our archive and um, San Franciscans had been fighting to have a bike-friendly Car-Free Market for 50 years. And for 50 years, everybody's saying it can't be done. They do it. And everybody loves it. I mean, all the problems that people predicted don't happen. The world doesn't end. <laughs> the, the well, it did, but not because of that. <laughs> not because of that. <laughs> um, and then the pandemic, when that happens, other ideas, um, JFK Drive, uh, that's something people have been fighting about for decades. They open it up. Everybody loves it. Slow streets. Um, you know, everybody seems to like that. Things we weren't even thinking of, Heather, you and I, uh, you know, uh, a car-free Twin Peaks, uh, the mm -hmm. Great Walkway, all of these things are happening and people seem to like it. So my premise is I'm going to go to the people who have been fighting for this for all these years and ask them, what else is on your list? Like, 
theoretically, if we dive into all of these ideas, what would San Francisco look like if we kind of went all the way? Right. And before we get to the nitty gritty of this potential utopia, um, can you talk about your background? I know you're an avid bicyclist. You walk a lot and you love San Francisco. How did these three things kind of mesh for you? I know from our Total SF projects, (laughs) but for listeners who are not familiar. Well, you're a big part of it, Heather. Um, (laughs) Well, thank you. I just wanted to talk about myself. Yeah, I I didn't own a bike for, um, I I owned it, but it was sitting in a garage for for decades. Um, I biked a little bit in college and a little bit after lived in LA, lived in the hate, um, put my bike in the, my garage in the hate. It's probably still there. I haven't lived there in 20 years. <laughs> a few years ago, I started looking at the ferry and I really wasn't having a good time commuting on BART. And Lily Janik, our theater critic, I always saw her with her bike helmet. I'm like, hey, I'm thinking about biking in a town. Will you give me some tips? She met me at the ferry. I biked. I'm in Alameda. I biked to the ferry, took the ferry in. She met me at the ferry building and basically like became like my bike mentor. She's like my bike Yoda. And <laughs> Does she talk in normal sentences? Or? She does. She does. <laughs> okay. But everything else is bike Yoda. And she really um, introduced me to biking. Right around that time, that was when you and I were doing Total Muni. This is like three years ago. Well, when we started doing our next big project, which was our 49-mile scenic route, I decided to use my bike to kind of explore these new routes. And and Heather, you remember very much um, us doing that was about biking and walking and making Mm -hmm. the city more accessible to people on their bikes and less accessible Mm -hmm. to cars. So then I realized how hard it was. Yeah, it was very hard. And And then I really started to see what was great about the city and biking and then what the problems were. And um, and I've been thinking about that ever since up to this project. Yeah. And um, San Francisco City Flag has a phoenix rising from the ashes. And a lot of our biggest improvements have actually resulted from crises. We've often taken a really horrible situation and found something good in it in San Francisco. And you highlighted a few of these in your story. So can you mention... A couple of those examples for listeners. Yeah. I mean, the big one that people remember here is the Loma Prieta earthquake. And we had this Embarcadero freeway um, put up in, I think, 1959. Um, Really, the state drove it. A lot of people in San Francisco didn't like it. This giant, like, double-decker freeway in front of the ferry building ruined the views on their way to turning San Francisco into just a city with freeways going through it like a spider web earthquake hits they have to tear the thing down and then the city goes in another direction and everybody said this was impossible mother nature comes along and reinvents the city um we've had a little bit of that with the 1906 earthquake i mean the city was reinvented for the better then world war ii i mean there were great crises in there all of the the food nobody knew what to do with the food that ended up turning into us having farmers markets the first mm-hmm. farmers markets came out of san francisco out of a crisis so yeah. with this pandemic it's like well maybe something positive can come out of this cuz it's happened in the past yeah okay i'm going to look at my advanced copy of your story right now <laughs> <laughs> um one of the perks of working at the Chronicle. Um, So I'm going to ask you about a few of these um, improvements. Some have already happened because of the pandemic. Some are still dreamed about. But let's um, break down a few. And you talk about what the improvement would be and how likely it is to be permanent. Okay, so we already have uh, 
as of several weeks, a car-free JFK drive in the eastern part of Golden Gate Park. The Great Highway along Ocean Beach has been closed to cars. Um, there's other streets in McLaren Park and, of course, Twin Peaks Boulevard. So walk me through some of those and how likely it is that they will stick around. And the right answer, if city <laughs> officials are listening, is that they should stick around. Yeah, I mean, um, throughout this project, I, I have 13 things that could happen. And I grade them from easy to science fiction. Um, and I, I kind of argue that science fiction can happen because people thought, you know, the Golden Gate Bridge was science fiction. Mm-hmm. Car-free JFK, the Great Walkway, continued slow streets, that to me is easy. We're doing it now. I mean, it already exists. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and there's been fights about it, but now it seems to be something that people want. We're going to have more bikers, more walkers coming out of this. People are discovering the city. This should be easy. Um, If that can't happen, if there's a big fight in the car, people who want cars back, those forces show up. And we have what we had with JFK Drive, which is like this weird split. It's always going back. Then we're done before we started. Um, this yeah. kind of utopia that I'm writing about probably isn't going to happen or, or it's going to be in little pieces. So I think those things are things that coming right out of this pandemic are things that should be easy to maintain. Yeah. And if city officials go back on those, I think you and I will both be fighting with them in the paper. Yeah, I, I may convince you to move to Alameda over here with me <laughs> if if we can't get JFK Drive open. Um, I've been out there. You've been out there. I mean, it's so wonderful. People love it. It Yes. You know, it, there's, there's no downside. And I, I can't believe that, you know, the big argument is that people aren't going to be able to get to the museums. I can't believe that, like, with a shuttle service for the elderly, people who can't get on a bike or walk that... That big parking garage, I can't believe that their numbers are going to drop. I I think that brings more people into the park, and I think that's being proven now. Yeah, and that argument never holds water for me because there are many other streets in Golden Gate Park. It's not like we're talking about the entirety of Golden Gate Park being car-free. Martin Luther King is just south of JFK. It's still open, and it connects to the museums as well, so it just doesn't make sense. Yeah. Okay, we're going to keep it open. Um, Let's go next to Twin Peaks Boulevard. Um, describe what it was like when we went up there for the 49-mile makeover and then how it's changed. So Twin Peaks, um, as you remember, we didn't want to put it on our 49-mile scenic route. Um, Again, we're taking the 49-mile scenic drive that's been around since the 30s. We wanted to reboot it with independent businesses and walkability and bikeability. And we didn't want Twin Peaks on there because it's not especially walkable or bikeable. And it's a big smash and grab robber's paradise up there. So there was a mutiny. The readers (laughs) overruled us. We put it on anyway, gritting our teeth. Now it's like it's become what I don't think you and I could have even imagined, which is. No way. Yeah. So there's a little bit. I, I put that difficulty a little harder because it's. It's easier to get people with disabilities, people um, who are elderly, to the museums. Mm-hmm. They've got to figure out something for Twin Peaks if it's going to stay bike and pedestrian friendly. Maybe it's a time split. Maybe there's a shuttle service. Maybe like the 76X, the uh, yes. Marin Headlands bus. That's kind of like this sort of touristy once in a while bus. Maybe they can set up something like that 
and bring that up during certain hours. Mm -hmm. But I think Twin Peaks has shown um, its its real value to the city is something that's primarily for bikers and pedestrians. I think that's a little harder, but I think it's totally doable. Yeah. I wrote about that in a column and um, proposed that we should keep the southern entrance um, closed to cars because I will admit that's the one near my house. And then the northern entrance could be open to cars. So that would be one compromise. There are definitely ways to make it happen. But it's too awesome to just end entirely. Yeah. And I'm, uh, who's the lobby against that? Um, yeah. Like, the do car the car break in thieves. They <laughs> the, hate yeah, it. Do, the, do, the, do the smash and grab <laughs> robbers have a lobby that they can, like, have someone they can send to London Breed to argue? <laughs> I mean, who, who's against it? Certainly people who want access to their tourism. But I don't I don't think there's there's plenty of stuff for the tourists to do. And if there were shuttles and buses that you could get the tourists up there, I think it could still be a win win. We'll be right back after a short break. You can support Fifth and Mission and the newsroom that creates it by signing up for unlimited Chronicle access at sfchronicle.com slash pod. I'm Heather Knight and I'm back with Peter Hartlob. Okay, shifting away to from that to the way traffic actually moves around San Francisco, um, we are expecting a lot more cars to be on the roads in the coming year at least, possibly more, because people are still afraid to ride buses and BART with the pandemic. As people return to work, traffic's going to get really bad. We already have a huge problem with traffic fatalities every year. Um, pedestrians and bicyclists are killed every year, sadly, and little seems to change with the way streets are designed. So some um, pedestrian advocates in particular have been calling for daylighting of corners, raised crosswalks, and no right turns on red, which all sound, you know, very practical. So what is the likelihood that those would happen? You know, this is really kind of the nuts and bolts stuff that um, isn't particularly sexy. Um, It's not something that, you know, you're going to talk about it at a dinner party, daylighting. Daylighting is basically <laughs> clearing out um, any parking or obstructions for like a parking lot space before a crosswalk to increase visibility and increase the chances that pedestrians are going to be able to cross that. But these things are important. Um, we have this Vision Zero plan. I know you've written about it. The Chronicle's done a lot about it. You know, we're, we're trying to get zero fatalities and we're like stuck on 30 a year Um, And these are the little things that I think that can turn us into a city where people feel safe to walk and bike. Mm -hmm. Um, And they're not um, they're not the types of things that happen overnight. Um, You start getting expensive with raised crosswalks. But I think if people make a commitment to it, 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 it makes us a safer city. The other thing, all three of these, along with a couple of the other things, a lot of the speed limit things really help out some of our real crisis areas. And I think of the Tenderloin. Um, I talked to Walk SF and the SF Bicycle Coalition. I talked to a few advocates and activists through this, and everybody brings up the Tenderloin, that that's Mm -hmm. the place where you have to start because that's where the biggest crisis is. And it's the place where people don't own cars. Um, And yet it's used as this thoroughfare so people from the western end of the city can get to their jobs downtown and daylighting raised crosswalks no right turns on red those are a few little things that can help make places like the tenderloin safer right away i believe every street in the tenderloin is considered a high injury corridor 
And that neighborhood also has um, a very high percentage of kids, families, seniors, immigrants, and people who may, you know, need more help in navigating safely around the street. So it's really, you know, insane that the city hasn't done a better job of turning that away from a freeway and into a safe place to be. Definitely. Okay, you you have something called Chase Center 8 to 80 rule. I don't <laughs> yeah. know what that is. I do because I read it, but if I only <laughs> read the headline, I wouldn't know what that is. So what is that? Well, I'll start by saying, you know, I interviewed a couple people who just bike um, and and they're not uh, part of any nonprofit or anything. They're just people who love bikes. I interviewed Jay Beeman, who is um, he's a bar. Uh, he, he works at the bar and he manages a, a Firefly restaurant and he just fell in love with biking. And um, during his kind of temporary unemployment now, he's spending all of his time fixing bikes for people, getting people out on the road. But that doesn't matter if it's not safe for everybody to be out on the road. And 8 to 80 is the concept that whether you're 8 years old all the way up to 80, you feel safe getting on the road um, on a bike. You feel safe as a pedestrian that you can get to your school. You can get to your library. Mm -hmm. So what I decided is 8 to 80 Chase Center. Chase Center is this wonderful bike-friendly area. They have valet parking for the bikes. Terry Francois Boulevard is like this red carpet or green carpet coming up to the stadium. But if you live in Hunter's Point, you got to go down 3rd Street to get there on a bike. That's that's absolutely a hazard. Um, you and I, when we were doing our scenic route, um, coming even down like Ocean Boulevard um, through mm-hmm. Ingleside, if you live in the sunset, it's it's not a safe situation at night. So my thing is, whether you're Steve Kerr and, and Presidio uh, Terraces, whether you're someone who lives in the sunset and has a Warriors ticket, whether you live in Bayview and you work at Chase Center, you should be able to get there safely by bike or as a pedestrian, whether you're eight years old or 80 years old. And that's Excellent. that's challenging, but I think it mm-hmm. can be done as a long-term goal for San Franciscans. Everybody has access to our stadiums, to our downtown core. Everybody feels safe on the road. Great. And then we'll move into the total science fiction categories. <laughs> Two more questions for you. Central Subway Expansion and BART to Geary Boulevard. What have you been smoking, Peter? <laughs> um, this is pure optimism um, after having a lot of caffeine. Um, a Geary Boulevard subway. I've gone back in the archive. This has been conceived for over a hundred years and it's never happened. But, but second bar tube coming through, it's got to go to some new neighborhoods. It really makes sense for that second bar tube to curve up and go to Geary and then central subway. Everybody's talking about it. Next step going to Fisherman's Wharf. But, um, really makes sense to curve that around to the marina, get it to the Presidio, and that real problem in San Francisco, which is south to north access. I mean, mm-hmm. like the 22 Fillmore is is a wonderful example of this. You know, you, it goes through a lot of neighborhoods. There's not a lot of that, though. There's not a lot of um, comfort if you're using transit or if you're a biker or a pedestrian getting from the south to the north. So... That central subway, and then if you can sneak that second BART tube over and have it keep going through Geary, we're golden. I don't know if this is going to happen while I'm alive, but uh, these I things take a long time. I would probably say not. 
knowing how fast City Hall goes. Yeah. If you had to bet, there's more that readers can see um, fully at sfchronicle.com. But if you had to bet now, which ones do you think we will see come true in the next couple of years and which ones will not happen? Well, I, I hope um, that right away we have car-free JFK, we have um, uh, the great highway becoming the great walkway. That'll be a really good sign. I think something that may happen sooner rather than later is um, one of the most important ones that I mentioned, which is automated speed enforcement, which is basically mm -hmm. um, uh, ticketless. It's like the red light cameras, except for speeding. And that combined with a lower speed limit is something that I think is attainable now. Um, now yeah. we, we've tried to do this. It has to be changed at the state. Both of those things can't be something San Franciscans decide. It's gotta be a state decision. But with what's going on with Black Lives Matter, um, the protests have made an impact. And both of these things, especially automated speed enforcement, that takes um, ticketing away from racial bias. Um, it's something that I think is going to be easier to to get through now. So I think yeah. those things could happen and really change the city. And if we start getting more bikers, more pedestrians, I think some of these science fiction-y things like that Geary subway um, are, are, are much more attainable. Um, mm -hmm. Maybe not the next couple of years, but something that we can build toward. Yeah. And a lot of people believe that San Francisco has a war on cars, which obviously seems untrue if you've ever tried to walk through the Tenderloin or ride your bike to the Chase Center. What would you tell listeners who are afraid of all these crazy things we're talking about on this episode and fear that their cars are going to be ripped from their hands? You know, look at other cities. And, and a lot of this is about meeting the needs of individual neighborhoods. Look at the slow streets. I mean, nobody's taking cars away from anybody there. If we were to pitch slow streets before the pandemic, everybody would say, they're taking our cars away. The access will be... Nobody's taking anything away from anybody. And then I'd say, look at look at those other cities. Look at Paris right now. Paris is making huge changes. They're way ahead of us. Um, Seattle, Lisbon, Oslo. Oslo just passed a city center where they're going to clear cars out of what would essentially be like our financial district and only have um, some transit access and a little bit of disability and um, and and some other delivery type things. Mm -hmm. They're going to clear out their whole city center and nobody's taken away anybody's cars. It's just it's just making the travel patterns make more sense. Sure, we want less cars, but we want more access to for people who don't have cars. And that's better for the city. I think it's better for the cars. I think it's better for the mm -hmm. drivers if we have more people on bikes and more people feeling comfortable walking in their city. Yeah, it's not fun to drive around San Francisco. So it seems like this would benefit everybody. Yeah. Well, thank you for joining me, Peter. It was fun to grill you. I had a great time. Um, this is not our usual dynamic, but uh, <laughs> it's enjoyable to see uh, you on Fifth and Mission. We're doing this by Skype, and I think you're doing a great job. And our flagship podcast is awesome, and I'm proud of it. So thank you for having me on. <laughs> ah, thank you so much. And your story is a must read, so everybody should check it out. Thank you to Peter Hartlob for joining me today, to King Kaufman for producing this episode, and to you for listening.